You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. to kind of change the environment of financial planning. Uh, Invested is what we like to call a fiduciary, a little bit more of a complex word, but a fiduciary means that we have to operate in your best interest, okay? It's a very important word. Most financial advisors that you run into are not fiduciaries, okay? We are what is called a registered investment advisor. So we are fully registered with Securities and Exchange Commission. We're fully licensed, but we don't sell any products. And I think that makes us very, very unique in the sense that we're here to promote financial education. We want to sit down, bring you through the budget, talk about your income taxes. I know everybody is talking about taxes. <laughs> All right, talk about your investments, talk about your savings plans, and try to get you to what your long-term goals are, okay? So I'll talk a little bit more about who we are when we get towards the end of the session. But I always just like to kind of premise it that as a representative with Invested, I'm not here to sell you anything, okay? Uh, we're located right over on Charles Street at the corner of uh, Charles and Mulberry. We're going to invite everyone. If you want to come in for a free consultation, you're more than welcome to uh, after today's seminar, okay? Also, 
ask questions as we go along. This is meant to be very interactive. As I said, I'm here to really help address any of your concerns and answer your questions. Now, any um, financial concerns in relation to the budget or just any financial? Any financial concern, okay? Uh, I'm here predominantly to talk about the budget, but very frankly, I can squeeze anything into the budget. You know, if somebody had a question on the stock market, well, you're taking money out of your budget to invest money in the stock market, so it's budget related, okay? So, starting off, how many here actually have a budget? Yeah, kind of, I, I was kidding. The budget's like the great American myth, you know? <laughs> like we all say we have it, but it's kind of like Bigfoot. It's like, yeah, you know, we've heard of them, but I don't know really. <laughs> it really exist. Uh, I always like to focus first on the budget because it's really a detailed analysis of how you're spending your money, okay? It's really kind of basic when you think about it. How much income is coming in? How much are you spending? And do you have anything left over, okay? The more detailed you get, the better off you're really going to be. That's probably one of the biggest factors when we start to set up a budget. A lot of times people aren't even really that confident at how much they're making. Because if somebody says, you know, oh, what do you make? They usually give them a, a quota of, yeah, this is my annual salary. But you're not taking that home. You think about what you make, you're going to have to subtract out your federal taxes, your state taxes, your social security taxes, maybe you have some other benefits that are coming out of there, and what you ultimately end up taking home is considerably less than that large number, okay? So that's what we always like to start with is what is the budget, what is the income, let's start looking at the details. The other thing that I would focus in on with the budget is also trying to separate out essential expenses from discretionary expenses. The essentials. What are those things that you need just to live? The rent, the food, the power, okay? We need to have a detailed list of what all of those particular expenses are, and then we get into the discretionary, and that's the area where it gets a little bit fuzzy, okay? That's why we always tend to be a little bit generous with ourselves. Like, I deserve this, I earned this, or whatever it may be, okay? And if you think about it, it could even be just small amounts that you're spending, it, not even consciously. You know, perhaps you went out and you got yourself a cup of coffee, and you're thinking, of, you know, it's only 5 or $6, but if you do that, 5 or $6, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, you're looking at over $1,500 that just went out the door, okay? It's being conscientious of where the money's actually going. You know, how much do you have coming in, and where are all those, you know, dollars actually going? I have a book in my office that's called Zombie Economics, okay? Anybody here ever watch The Walking Dead? Yeah. I'm kind of tired of it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have not gotten into it this year at all. <laughs> but Zombie Economics basically says the skill set that you need to survive the zombie apocalypse is exactly the same skill set you need to get through your proper budget. You need to understand exactly what your inventory is. How much money do you have coming in? And then you need to understand where your weak spots are. You know, if you're going to be in a house, you're going to want to shore up those windows. Meaning, do you have any credit card debt? Do you have maybe some bad spending habits? You know, focus in on what those weak spots are. And you also need to make sure that we're going to put into the budget probably one of the most important parts is your savings. Okay? If we're just trying to say, well, this is how much we're bringing in, this is what I have going out, and zeroed out, then we're not saving anything. And we're not going to really get prepared for the future. Because there will become a day, eventually, where you'll either not want to work, maybe you want to change a job, maybe you'll be retiring, or whatever the case may be, 
that's not the time when you're suddenly going to want to, you know, cinch the belt and say, oh, now I'm going to spend less. Trying to find those dollars today is really one of the most important factors. Okay. Any questions just so far? Okay. Probably the first thing that I always focus in on when I meet with clients is, do you have an emergency fund? Okay. Does anybody here know what an emergency fund is? Yes. Uh, a couple of months to cover your bills and your major expenses. You got a couple of months of cash to cover bills or major expenses. Is this apart from your savings account? Um, it really could be your savings account, but what we're really trying to do is establish a safety net. And typically we say about three months of expenses, okay, give or take. Only reason the three months comes up is that that has to do with long-term disability. It normally kicks in 90 days after somebody you know, goes on to disability. And we want to make sure that we can get all the bills paid until somebody gets to that point. There are some other goals that you may have. You know, um, when we focus in on setting the emergency fund up, you know, maybe we could have another cash holding if you're planning on buying a house in the next three years. We wouldn't want to co-mingle it with the emergency fund. We want to make sure that we're kind of keeping different buckets of money separate. Uh, so this is really just meant to be, God forbid you lose your job, you get sick, something happens, you have some source of cash to go to, because if we don't have the emergency fund, the only other resource that you're going to have is to either delve into other long-term savings, maybe paying taxes and paying penalties, or going to a credit card and putting it out on the debt. And that just starts a vicious circle where you're going to just start to spiral. So we kind of want to avoid that. I would say the emergency fund is the first thing. And I always like to put it into the category of save first, then invest. Okay. Because a lot of times people, you know, here we are in investment, you know, invest dead. We want to get people up and running to invest the money. But I'm always going to be conscientious of do you have the emergency fund established? Because I can't put somebody in all good conscience into long-term investment that could be somewhat volatile and then have an emergency arise where they now have to try to grab that. And it could even be down depending on where the market is. We need to make sure that we get the safety net established. Okay? So it's always one of the first things that I focus in on. And then the next one is how many are you how many of you are saving with a specific goal in mind? Okay? Great. Great. Alright? A lot of times what we see are people who are pretty good savers, but they tend to save in maybe one or two areas. And if you ask them, like, oh, where's the down payment for the home? Well, I think it's somewhere in there. Well, you said you also wanted to go on vacation, and you had somebody who says, yeah, that's kind of in that same pool. And children's education, yeah, I don't like to think about that, but it's in there, <laughs> right? And they tend to have like these buckets, and wow, I have my retirement bucket, and then I have the cash-all bucket. What we always like to say is try to divide it up and actually have separate emergency fund, have a vacation fund, have that fund maybe for a child's education, have that fund for the down payment on the home, and then have your retirement account. So you might want to have all these different types of accounts because you think about it, it'll give you a better idea to know, are you on track to meet your goal? All right, that's what we're really trying to do, is do I have enough money to make that down payment on the home? Am I investing this money appropriately? I shouldn't invest my child's education fund the same way I would invest my emergency fund, and I shouldn't invest that the same way that I would invest for my retirement. So you're gonna have different, what I call clocks. There's different times 
and going to be different types of accounts that we can utilize for the different types of goals that we have. Perhaps a 401k or an IRA or a 403 for retirement, perhaps a college education fund through my child's education, and maybe a CD or something a little bit more guaranteed for that investment that I'm going to need in the next three years or so, where you can't take the volatility of the market. Does that make sense? Yeah, so um, getting a little bit further in detail to what you're saying, are you saying open multiple bank accounts for each goal? Yeah, I would say have a different account for each goal. See, now I tried that and it worked really well, but then the bank started charging for each account. Okay, you might want to get credit union. I love credit union. All right, and I mean that, right? Is that I'm not like, and maybe I'm a little anti bank, I'll say that. <laughs> but I love credit unions. I like to, if you want to go to a place where they're going to service you, where they're going to take care of you, where they want your services. Banks, I mean, let's be honest, Wells Fargo does not have the best reputation out there. <laughs> so, you know, to your point, if you can get a better, you know, resource, try to find some a better resource out there. Yeah. It's really interesting that you bring that up because a PNC has a similar, uh, they have a similar setup. So through the virtual wallet um, account, yeah. you have like three different accounts, and within your gross account, you can save the specific goals. Yeah. And so I use that myself for like a car and a house. Okay. Yeah. I have the virtual wallet, but I was doing the free checking accounts, mm -hmm. and then like they started charging seven dollars per account. So I had like a, mm -hmm. a card for. I had an account for my car, you know, going out to eat, my bills, and a couple other things, and it was like seven dollars. So I had to close them all. But I still have my, I still have my um, virtual wallet, which is like a minimum five hundred dollars. I don't remember what the minimum was because I opened mine a couple years back. Yeah. But if you have the virtual wallet, you can have you have a spend, accounts. reserve, and growth. And yeah. within that growth, you can add different accounts to save towards different goals, and you can check them. Much you want. Oh, okay. That's a long And they'll even give you a bonus, a higher dividend um, if you like meet a certain minimum, how much you're putting in extra money. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they will fee you, give you, they will let you a fee if you withdraw. Oh, if you withdraw more than five times, they will let you in there. I've often said your emergency fund, you might want to set up and kind of keep it at a site. Because a lot of times people, you know, they have their checking and their savings account and you pull it up on your phone and it's so easy. So you might want to even say, hey, we all get paid direct deposit. Maybe I want to have my direct deposit directed to two different accounts the one where I'm going to be spending and just where my money circulates all the time, but have a specific amount, maybe just go to that emergency fund. Something that's kind of out of sight, out of mind. A lot of it's just tricks. You know, we're trying to discipline ourselves and trick ourselves into doing things, okay? Same thing I have to do. I have to trick myself to try to eat better. I have to trick myself to try to exercise. It's the same thing. We're just playing a game because we know it's in our best interest to just try to set up a device. Whatever's going to work for you. Okay, is really what you want to try to do. Okay, again, but with a specific goal, you're going to be really more inclined to stick to the savings. Okay, that's the whole idea is that we want this to be something that's really ingrained and that you can kind of start to operate. One other point that I would bring up I think everybody's budget is going to be different. All right, it's not meant 
not everybody here has similar goals. Not everybody here is living the same life. So your budget is meant to be customized for you, okay? And that's the way you should look at it. You know, what are your savings goals? You know, somebody else may want to say, well, I'm saving for a vacation. Somebody else may say, no, I'm going to be saving for a down payment on a home. Some other people may have reasons to say, well, I might be, I want to save for a kid's education, but it's not my priority, okay? My retirement has to be my priority at this point. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of personalizing it for whatever your goals are, okay? And that's something that we try to help develop. So again, we want to first start off by establishing goals. Again, your goals are your business. But try to have, most people should have at least maybe one or two, okay? Maybe it's the setting up an emergency fund. Maybe you want to start a business. Maybe you have a wedding that's coming up. Maybe you want to start to try to pay off that credit card. All right, whatever the goal is, those are the things that we should start to focus in on. And these are the topics that every time I sit down and I speak with folks, you know, we always call our office the judgment-free zone. Okay, we want you to come in. I don't care if you have a lot of credit card debt. I'm not here to scold people. I don't care if you have some back taxes. It's not an issue. All right, I have people come in and maybe they've defaulted on a loan or something such as that. That's fine. We want you to come in, we want to open up the conversation, and we really just want to get you to a better place. That's the whole thing. And if you're quiet, you're scared, you don't want to talk about it, it's never going to get resolved. In fact, the fear is just going to make it spiral you know, down on you. So we want to make sure that whatever the goals are, let's get talking about them, let's get saving, and let's see what we can do. Okay? Yes? somebody else already going through the motions, it kind of does click. And they say, you know what, I need to be doing that. Um, I would always say, you know, make, probably making a major purchase. This is probably one that comes up all the time, and this is why we see a lot of people actually go into debt. Um, I just was on the phone earlier today with somebody who buying a car. And, oh, I need a down payment for the car, didn't really save up a whole heck of a lot for the down payment on the car, and now they're forced to borrow more, they're going to pay a higher interest rate. 
And that's kind of an area that you're probably going to have some of these purchases, but we just don't think of them. They're not front of mind all the time. So that's definitely something. Um, education of children, that is because it's expensive. I mean, that's the whole thing, is that people look at it, and it's almost like an insurmountable hill. So it's like, well, and then you start making your own priorities. Should you save for your retirement, or should you save for the child's education? Which one's really going to be first? And this is really where we need to sit and have that one-on-one -on -one to find out what your personal goals are, right? Not what you think the neighbor thinks your personal goals are, <laughs> okay? It's like it's meant to be customized for you. Does that help? Okay. All right, I always say the emergency fund should be your number one goal, all right? It has to be. You need to get that safety net established. And really what we're looking at here is trying to make sure we eliminate a lot of the different types of debt that you have out there. There's, we'll talk a little bit about what I call good debt, bad debt, okay? But we want to try to get rid of a lot of the credit cards or the high interest debts, and we want to at least get a safety net established for you something that you're going to feel comfortable now launching off into other programs without fear that if something happens that you don't have to fall back, okay? You're not going to realize the importance of the emergency fund until, God forbid, one day you need it. So it's meant to be in cash, okay? The emergency fund should not be invested in the stock market. It should be anywhere of three, six months of expenses is really the one that I focused in on. And it's really meant to just avoid, you know, um, going into debt, maybe have a deductible on your insurance, all right, and avoid going into your long-term or IRA retirement types of savings. And we're meant to keep this very, very boring, cash, okay, CD, money market, savings account. We're not trying to impress anybody with a rate of return here. We are looking for something really boring because it's meant to be safe, because you're going to need it. And that's why we want it there. So, so in shoebox. Yeah, shoebox, yeah, you could. <laughs> uh, another goal would be maybe a major purchase. This is the one where I would say, you know, everyone may have a different goal. Some people may say, I want to buy a home. Um, and that's a big topic that comes up an awful lot. Is people saying, well, I've been renting, I think I want to buy a home. And, you know, I have to be very blunt, you know, Renting, you might feel like you're throwing your money out the window, but buying a home can sometimes just be a bigger window. All right, so everybody has their own you know, agenda. What's the overall purpose? But as far as the major purchase goes, when are you going to have this major purchase? Maybe it's a wedding. Okay? Maybe it is for the down payment you know, of a home. Maybe it is for a car. But I'm always concerned with the time frame of the major purchase. Because if we're looking at something that's less than a year, you're going to need to have the cash. Okay. If you're looking at midterm, maybe one to ten years, you're going to still want it relatively conservative. Maybe some bond investments, you know, something a little bit more balanced, because you're going to need it relatively short term. We really don't even suggest somebody get involved in the stock market, where it could be very volatile, until you have at least. You know, I would say five, ten, if not more years ahead of you, okay? Because you may think of the market, and it's been on fire lately. The market's been doing phenomenal. But guess what? About every ten years or so, we go through a bit of a crash. You think about it. Think about 1987, and then we went through it again in the late 90s. 
Then we went through it again in 2007, 2008, and here we are in 2017, okay? I'm not saying it's happening tomorrow, I'm not looking at that prescient, but I am saying it is something that we know will eventually happen. And that's why we always have to say, make sure you have that long-term goal so we can get you through the ups and downs. Anybody who can pretend that they can time the market and pretend that they know the stock market that well, uh, wow, that must be amazing. Because if I knew how to do that, I'd be into heat. No offense against anybody, <laughs> but nobody knows how to time the market, okay? It's a myth, all right? The whole idea is to be disciplined and get you through the storm, all right? But we're not gonna try to time the market in any way. As far as education of children, uh, this is the one that can probably give everybody a heart attack. <laughs> what we're looking at is that if you think about saving on a monthly basis for a child's education, if you're really looking at a university or so that would cost $25,000 or $30,000 a year, if you have a newborn, you're going to be looking at putting away around $726 a month. This is why people kind of put this one to the side. <laughs> like, I'm going to want to talk about it right now. You know, you start looking at scholarships, you know, moving out of the country. <laughs> Things of that Because <laughs> the thing is that if you really think about it, college education is increasing at such a rate. Does anybody know what the rate is that we actually increase uh, college education? The cost is going up at about what rate? Does anybody know? I don't know the rate, but Yeah, it's about six, six, seven percent. Exactly. Yeah, it's a little over six percent. And which, when you think about it, an average stock market return is probably anywhere from eight to ten. And you have college education increasing at a rate of six to seven. That means that you have to do most of the savings on your own. You can't really rely on the market to help you. Right? That's why it's such a difficult area, and that's why we talk about student loans. Okay, the different types that are out there. Be subsidized, where in essence you're not paying any interest during the accumulation phase, or unsubsidized, where you are paying the interest is accruing as it continues to go forward. All right, and I always recommend that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this as far as consolidation uh, loans and things that are available. If education for children is concerned, there are lots of different things that we can do. We can talk about the qualified tuition programs. Maryland has a pretty good one that actually does give you a state tax deduction on the first $4,000 that you contribute. There are education savings accounts and other custodial accounts. These are probably very common, okay? They're what referred to as UGMA, Uniform Gift to Minors, or UGMA, Uniform Transfer to Minors accounts. I'm not a big fan of saving money in a child's name. Okay, it's just a personal pet peeve of mine. I have kids, my kids do have money saved in their name, okay, invariably. You know, be it gift from grandma, you know, savings bonds, something like that always ends up coming through. But I don't really recommend that people save money in their own child's name. I'd rather save it in your own name, okay? That way, if you lose your job, if you get ill or anything else, it's your money. You're the priority, all right? That's the thing you need to put first. Once you put money in a child's name, it's the gift that keeps on giving. You really can't take it out. It has to remain theirs. Okay? So it's a bit of a problem. I'm not a big fan of saving children's names. Okay. How to retire comfortably. All right, let's just first focus in on 
target retirement income. This is probably a big topic. I have a lot of folks approach me and they say, Pat, I heard I'm going to need to save at least a million dollars so I can retire. I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, it sounds like a large sum of money. It seems like a rather insurmountable, you know, amount that you're going to try to get put away. But what we always like to focus in on is not so much how much money should you have, but how much money are you going to need to live? And what the best judge would be, well, what are you spending right now? All right. There's actually a study done, and they've been doing this since you know the mid '90s. It's from Georgia State University, and it's basically the retirement you know study. And they have found that most people, when they retire, don't spend as much as when they were working. It's probably a little bit less. It ranges anywhere from around 74% all the way up to around 94% or so. So it's a range. I usually say 70 to 80%. Yes. When you say gross family income. Like, can you talk more about what that means? Yeah. When we're talking about the gross family income, meaning uh, how much am I making, you know, in total, how much is my spouse making, and if we're planning on retiring together, how much money are we going to be spending, you know, outright? So overall, replacement of my salary. What was I making before I retired, and what am I now going to need to pay the bills after I retire? So is that, like, at the peak of your salary, or, like, because I know that if I did that right now, it I would be completely under what I would need to do. Yeah, yeah it, it's pretty much right before you retire. I would say if you're working and I'm 65, I would probably want to say, what is your salary there? And the reason, the targets are actually pretty wide. I said actually 74 up to around 94%. Somebody who's making over 90,000, they typically need less. They need about maybe a 74% replacement. Somebody who's making a lot less, $20,000, they need about 94% replacement because they weren't making it that far anyways. Does that make sense? So if somebody was making $500,000, they're probably going to need you know, 20% replacement, if you really think about it, because they were probably saving you know, the bulk of it. Why we always say it is a lesser amount is there are some expenses that go away almost immediately when you retire. Uh, the first one is Social Security. You only pay Social Security on sweat of their earnings. You don't pay it on IRA distributions or pension distributions. Uh, you don't pay it on interest or dividends or anything else. And that tax right there is 7.65%. So boom, save you that immediately. Maybe reduce your income taxes a little bit. Maybe you're no longer commuting. You know, there are some other expenses that are going to go up, leisure, travel, etc. Alright. But pretty much if I can say you know, minus the 7.65, save a little bit of taxes, you know, save a little bit on the commute and some other of those other expenses, I can basically get you 80. And I didn't even do any heavy lifting yet. I just kind of got to that point. But what we also like to look at are what are the sources of income? Because remember, that's what this is all about. It's not a matter of how much of a lump sum did I save. You're not going to just take a lump sum and spend it all. You're going to use it to produce interest, maybe use the interest, maybe even some of the principal to help pay your bills. Now, if you have Social Security, you know, some people say Social Insecurity, right? <laughs> but it's probably going to be around in one way, shape, or form, okay? Uh, but include that. Maybe that would pay about $25,000 or so. You should probably look at your Social Security estimate. Has anybody done that? Yeah, they used to send the statements, and now they don't do that anymore, all right? You can go out to uh, ssa.gov, G-O-V, 
and you can actually put in your information and you can actually look at your earnings history and you can look at what your projected Social Security benefit's gonna be, okay? I know everyone here is very young, so you know, I don't think it's mandatory, but I would always just take a gander at it just to kind of see what your earnings history was to make sure that they have that down accurate, okay? So it's ssa.gov. Do you have a pension plan? You know, are you working for the state? Are you working for the Fed? You know, those tend to be the bigger pensions that we see out there anymore. And you mentioned your father, retired military. All right, so he has, you know, a pension. All right, and then, you know, looking at your savings plans, personal investments. I hate to be worded, but another thing that happens when people retire is maybe they have a relative pass away, and there may be some inheritance that they're going to receive. All right? It's not something that you're going to say, I'm definitely including that. But if you know, that's all right. That could be you know, a little bit of an additional amount, right? It comes up all the time. In fact, I just had somebody stop in the office today and it was a pretty big part of their topic, right? Okay. We want to talk a little bit about debt, all right? Average personal debt, when you think about it, credit card, a little over 16,000, auto loan, 28,000, student loan, almost 50,000, mortgage debt, 176,000. Okay. Yeah. Per person or just? Yeah. That's on average. You know what most people have. Average personal debt. Yes. Oh my. Okay. <laughs> this isn't comforting at all. I know. <laughs> well, you know, I always uh, first thing that comes to mind whenever I see this, I always just think of us being like little batteries that are just made to pay interest. <laughs> you know, basically, that's the whole idea. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I see student loans much higher than this of all the time. Yeah. Much higher than this. Okay, I see credit card debt much higher than that too. Okay, it's not unusual. This is this is really you know it's a major problem when we think about this because we're paying so much interest to somebody else, and they don't care. They will gladly continue to lend us the money because they're going to continue to make the interest on. All right. Ultimately, by getting rid of debt, we're offering you your financial freedom. Okay. If you have debt, you might want to leave that job and start your own business, but you're not gonna, because you're fearful of, well, I have to pay this debt back. Okay. Think about all of the freedom that you could offer yourself if you didn't have any debt. Okay. I hear people talking about, well, mortgages, they're not bad. Would you want your mortgage paid off? Yeah. Yes. Is it true that credit is based off of debt? Like the more debt you have and that you pay on time, the better credit you have? The question was wow, all right. <laughs> God <laughs> Question was the more credit or more debt you have, can you get a better credit score in essence? Yes and no. I'm actually gonna go through what's in the FICO score a little bit. I actually have to come up here. And then we'll talk about actually leveraging that debt, like if it's relevant. Yeah, if you, uh, leveraging debt, I would say a mortgage is a good way to leverage some debt because it's a lower interest rate, it can give you some tax benefits. Um, I would say certain car loans might be able to leverage, uh, such as if I had a 0% you know, car loan available to me, how much of a down payment do you think I'd put on the car? Probably is at least the, the smallest amount I could come up with. Because I'm borrowing free money. So that's a leverage situation. 
Okay? We only talk about it when we feel that your money can be used for another purpose. Okay? That's when we want to be leveraging, meaning I can earn more on it or I can have access to my money. It's worth more to be being liquid and invested than it is being used to purchase a particular thing. Now, as far as the average American household, 76% are living paycheck to paycheck. Okay? Less than a three-month cushion, 50%. No savings at all, 27%. Okay? This is why we focus in on the emergency fund. All right? We're really, because if we're living paycheck to paycheck and somebody loses their job, that's, it's over. It's done at that point. Okay? Those are the situations that we want to avoid. Right. So that's the whole idea behind the budget is to really kind of say, hey, this is a very tough look at what I need to do. And I'm always very upfront with people. I say, you may want to just go through, throw out all the junk mail. If you have credit card offers, throw them out. Get rid of it all. And just take all of what your mandatory bills are. What's the rent going to be? What's the power going to be? You know, food, eh, food is mandatory and discretionary. Let's be honest. All right? I, I go to the grocery store and sometimes I look in the cart and I'm like, what the hell am I buying this for? You know, some potato chip stuff I, I need, but I don't need it, all right? And you think about the money that you're spending on these things, all right? That's money maybe best used elsewhere, all right? What I would also say is, again, I'll reiterate, when you go through your budget, try to build savings into your budget, okay? I also do a lot of tax projections for my clients. And what a tax projection is, is that I go through, I want to just look at their pay stub, I want to see if they're on track to meet their federal obligation and their state obligation. If you get back a refund, and I'm going to say, you know, you get back $200, that's not that bad. If you're getting back more than $1,000 as a refund, you just gave the government an interest-free loan and they did not even send you a thank you note, okay? And that's money that maybe you could have utilized throughout the year. Think about it, that's a little less than $100 a month, all right? And I know a lot of people say, well, it's kind of like my savings, you know, I just do it and I'd like to know that I'm gonna get it back. I don't pay anybody that bills me more than I owe them. I do not write Verizon $100 extra a month when I pay my cell phone bill. I don't do it. Well, we do it to the government all the time. So, like, I didn't know what that meant. Like, I was always told to claim, like, one exemption at the end of the year. Yeah. I would get, like, $4,000. Yeah, they think about $4,000. And if you think about that. And then you're mad because you're like, yeah. you could have used it throughout the whole year. That's exactly it. That's like over $300 a month that you could have had. And you could have used it to pay down debt or put up your emergency fund or anything else.
going to start off with is our gross income. This is the big amount that you're getting, okay? Then you have certain adjustments that you're taking. Maybe you're contributing to a 401k or you know, certain medical deductions, you know, medical insurance, et cetera, that are all coming off on a pre-tax basis, okay? Then we arrive at what's called your adjusted gross income. From there, we're gonna take your personal exemption, which is worth $4,050. So as a single man, this is the only personal exemption that you're gonna get. But if somebody's married, or if they have children, now you're looking at, for every person in the household that's a dependent, $4,050, okay? So if you have like me, my wife, my kids, it can add up, all right? Then we end up taking our deductions. Some people itemize, meaning if you own a home, you're probably itemizing because you're gonna get the interest on the mortgage, you're gonna get the property taxes, you're gonna get your state income taxes, you get to deduct all of that, okay? Standard deduction is 6,300 for a single person or 12,600 for a married couple, all right? So you can see these things are subtractions, we're lowering it, and it arrives at what's called our taxable income. And that's what we hit with our tax rate. And we have what's called a progressive tax system. The lowest rate is 10%, and we go up to a high rate of 39.6, at least presently. I know they're talking about it in Washington right now. Right? Who knows what they're going to come out with. But what we're doing is we look at the taxable income, we then apply it to our tax rate, and we can actually predict what your liability is going to be. So in your particular case, what I would do is, you know, we're sitting here basically at the end of the year. Can't do too much for 2017. But I would want to sit and say, geez, let's talk about 2018. Let's get this number straight. I can basically tell you what you're going to have to owe the federal government. Now I just need to know you get paid, you know, 24 times a year, 26 times a year, and now let's take that number and divide it by that amount. That's how much you should have being withheld from your, from your paycheck for your taxes. It's a bill, like any other bill, and you want to be able, and you can calculate it out, and we can figure out what it is, and then we can actually improve your overall finances. Does that make sense? Okay. I had a young woman come in earlier this year. She had student loans for about $180 a month, and she had a part-time job. She was not making that much. And I saw that she had filed single with one exemption because that's what HR told her to do. So she filled that out. And I went through the calculation, and I think this was like in April or May. She had already met her full federal obligation. She already put enough money in their coffers. And she was going to continue to have it taken out. So I changed the whole thing. I maximized. I said, you're single with 12 exemptions to zero out that withholding. Put another $300 a month into her pocket. So she was able to pay her student loan, plus have a little bit extra on the side. Okay? I didn't you know, do anything fantastic, but I, I gave her the money that she needed now because she would have gotten a lot more of a refund if we didn't do anything. Yes? So then tell me the other side of that, the negatives of giving a, like, an interest-free loan like, is there ever a time that would actually charge the government interest? No, I mean, the negative of it is it's really just the, the loss of the use of your money is the whole idea. Um, our thought would be, 
if you're getting a refund of $4,000, that's money that you should have been able to build up your emergency fund or pay off some debt and fully control everything, all right? It's, you know, as I said, some people it's just ingrained of kind of like a mandatory way that they save, but it's not the most effective way. The whole idea is to reduce, your reduce it. And exactly, if you want to save it, instead of giving it to the government, put it into that secret bank account that we talked about. Man, I was told if I put zero, then I was going to Get visited by the IRS. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> no, it's, it's, all we're doing is it's only just to figure out how much you're eventually going to owe. And if you look at it, that's literally the formula right there of how to figure out your income taxes. Um, you know, unless you own a home, it's probably going to be the standard deduction. It takes me maybe around five minutes to sit down and kind of project out what somebody's taxes are. And then we just you know go back and adjust their payroll. Okay. Hopeful. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to uh, stop in and you want to set up an appointment with us, the first thing that we send out is the budget worksheet. Okay. We send out an Excel spreadsheet. We just want to kind of know what are your goals, what's your overall financial situation. And I always just like to say, you know, I, I want to make sure that somebody's taking it seriously. You know, really going through the numbers. Okay. And I can always tell, you know, if everything ends in zeros and fives, I'm like, oh, you know, you're guessing. Because okay? nobody spends their money like that. All right. So you just want to go through it. And then I always like to see how much you're saving, how much you, you know, how much debt is outstanding. Are we working on paying some of those things now? So we really just want to go through a detailed cash flow analysis. But as I said, it's ultimately a pretty basic picture. What's your income? Minus out your taxes. That's a bill, like any other bill. Okay? Spendable income, what are your essential living expenses, and other cash commitments. We're either running a surplus or a deficit. Okay? <coughs> Pretty straightforward. If you're running a deficit, we actually have two things that we need to accomplish. We need to go through the budget and try to figure out where the spending, where's the leaking coming from? Because it's like a leaking boat. All right? We need to stop the leak, but now what do we need to do? get out of debt. Okay, so we need to kind of turn this thing around. We need to do a 180 and start bailing the thing out and trying to build in maybe some type of payment program so we can help get out of debt that might be there. Again, a lot of it comes down into reducing what your expenses are. This is what I mean by being detailed, going through, being very upfront with yourself, being honest. I had a gentleman you know, the other day stopped in and we went through his budget and he was spending probably about $12 a day just on, you know, food. Um, he drove around in his car for a living so I could understand, you know, why he was doing this, but it ended up being a considerable amount of money that he was spending on a regular basis just on basic food. So like I said, you know, I'm not telling you to stop it, but, you know, when we're looking at spending, you know, $75 a week, you know, on simple takeout, maybe we could reduce it down to 25. You know, 50 dollars a week, that's a lot of money. You know, 50 dollars a week, 52 weeks a year, right? That's savings that we try to build in. So a lot of it is just looking at your own, you know, personal life, what are the things that you're spending on? Are there other, any areas that you might be able to give up, maybe change? I use myself as an example here. I like going out to eat. I don't think I'm unusual. I think everybody likes going out to eat. All right. But one place when I bring my kids out, I, 
you know, it's expensive, and they never finish everything anyways. Favorite restaurant I go to is Perry Perry, Ando's Perry Perry, <laughs> because you can get like a plate of food pretty cheap, and I can feed everybody, and I don't have to pay an arm and a leg. So it's like, all right, we have to go out, but I didn't have to pay that much. So everybody just wants to be out of the house anyways. That's all anybody's looking for. All right, I always like to concentrate on pre-tax contributions. All right. Uh, especially to a 401k or maybe to an IRA, is a way to reduce your taxable income. So if you see here, a pre-tax contribution, assuming somebody makes $50,000 and they're going to put about 6% away on a pre-tax basis, it reduces their income down to $47,000, which then reduces their federal taxes to a little over five. So now their after-tax income is $41,966. For the same person, if they wanted to put $3,000 away on an after-tax basis, they would have earned their 50, they would have paid a little more than $650 more in federal taxes, after-tax income's a little higher, then they put away the $3,000. You could have saved $650 by doing it on a pre-tax basis. That's why we always say, are you maximizing your 401k? Are you taking advantage of IRAs on a pre-tax basis? There are certain accounts like a Roth IRA that I definitely would encourage people to do, but a Roth isn't just inherently better. Because I think everyone hears, oh, it's going to be tax-free when I retire. To determine whether or not somebody should contribute on a pre-tax basis or on a Roth basis is going to have to do with where your current taxes are today in comparison to where you think they're going to be in the future. All right? If somebody can use the benefit today, we might want to save them some money. You know, on a pre-tax basis. If somebody's in a you know, very low tax bracket right now, we might want to make a Roth contribution because they're probably going to be in a higher tax bracket when they finally retire. Okay? Yes? Uh, and can you turn, so when you are paying taxes on that, like say you decide to do it, um, say I'm in a pretty decent tax bracket right now and I decide to put my money away and I'm going to have a tax when I retire. They tax the money after I stated that I'm retired, right, and in that annual income, that I have to now be able to see, like, okay, I'm trying 65, I'm going with, like, so the money that I have saved for retirement, we're gonna break that out into an annual salary, and then we're gonna tax that, or are we talking about taxing that, what I was making the day before I retired? No, it, 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 it's gonna be based upon how much income you have. So let's just say I'm 65, I was making 200,000, just to throw a number out there. I was in a pretty high tax bracket, okay? I retire and now I start to produce income from my 401k or from my IRA. And I'm only going to take out 50,000. We're only going to tax me on the 50. Okay, whatever my bracket is at that particular point. I feel like that's something that like a lot of my friends don't think about. Because they think, oh, well, if I'm in, you know, this field, in this industry, you know, I'm a computer engineer, I'm going to be making 250 grand because I, you know, I'm in protection for the government. Then they think that they're going to be taxed at that rate as opposed to what they're actually putting away. No, it's going to, your tax bracket is based upon the income in a year that you are that year that is being paid. So, and that's why I think a lot of people may think, gee, I'm going to be in a really high bracket. I'm like, well, are you sure? Because you may not be. Yeah. All right? It, it depends on, you know, Social Security benefits. Are you going to get a pension? Are you not going to get a pension? You know, there's a lot that goes into it. But we already know that we're going to have a lower income just from the threshold, mm -hmm. 70 to 80%. So that's a lower amount right there. And it depends on what somebody's lifestyle is. Because most people, if you think about it, if they're earning 250, they're probably not spending that. You know, you could probably live very comfortably and spend considerably less than that. 
So they may not need to be in that higher bracket. Okay, as far as going through the budget and the specifics of it, this is again, the devil's in the detail. Write down all income and all expenses. Maybe if you have a little part-time job, write it down. The expenses, I suggest that you might just want to start taking notes. You know, maybe if you buy something, take a picture of the receipt with your phone. And then at the end of the week, start adding it all up. You might be very surprised at where your spending was. Okay, did you pay for parking somewhere? What did you pay for gas somewhere? All right, did you go out to lunch? Did you have to pay a toll? All right, these are all the expenses that you might not even be conscious of as you go through. Okay? So write them all down. Categorize them. What's essential? Okay? What are you saving? That's an expense. All right? You're putting the money to the side, but it is an expense. And what is the discretionary? Focus in on the discretionary. That probably tends to be the one that gets most muddled. All right, people tend to be a little generous with themselves. All right, you want to customize this for yourself. All right, what are your specifics? Everybody has, you know, own things that they want to do. I had a gentleman that I was meeting with, and you know, our discussion was surrounding the fact that he likes to travel. That's what he likes to do. Other people may just enjoy going out to eat. Okay, yeah, I enjoy going to the movies. There are certain habits that people have. Customize it. That's something you know that you're going to want to do. Are there areas that you need to sacrifice? Are there areas that you know I'm never going to sacrifice on certain things? But this is all meant to be for you. Because if it's not customized, it's not going to work. It has to be something that you're going to be comfortable with and work for yourself. Pay yourself first. All right. Golden rule would be try to have about 20% of your earnings going towards some type of savings. All right. That's the goal and that's the peak. My starting point is whatever you can save. Okay, if you can start off with five percent and increase it to six next year, seven the next year, we'll get you there. Okay, we'll get you there maybe little steps at a time, but we'll get you there. It's better than not doing it at all. All right, but the twenty percent again, it's a very high threshold, but that's ultimately the goal that we would try to get somebody to. All right. Again, make sure it's something realistic that you can stick with it. And do a lot of automation. This is what I was talking about, having maybe the payroll deduction going to two separate accounts. Or if you're going to have 401k come right off the paycheck and goes into your retirement account automatically, you can set up other investments that do this automatically. When we set up accounts for folks, we oftentimes just have you know, monthly withdrawals from their checking account that go right into their investments. Right? Maybe it's for the savings for their home or maybe it's for their long-term retirement whatever it may be, but by putting it on an automatic basis, you're not gonna miss it. You're not gonna miss it. It's gonna happen automatically and that really gets you disciplined and it has a built-in like you know any other item. Okay. So looking at the 20%, that high golden rule, about 60% for the essentials, 20% for discretionary, and 20% where you're paying yourself. Okay? Maybe it's to reduce the debt that's outstanding, or maybe it's just long-term savings for yourself. All right, but just kind of divvying it up that way. And that's what I would say. As far as starting off, whatever number we can get you to. If it's 5%, fine. Maybe we can get you up to six or seven, and we'll do it in increments. But it's better than zero. 
All right, we want to get that thing moving. We want to try to get that as high as possible. Okay. <laughs> Any questions so far? Uh, yeah, so how do you best suggest that we do this? Like paper, Excel, one of those programs that we click in, or yeah. it's a lot, you know, to try to We have our own spreadsheet that we built on Excel. Um, I think what I would suggest is whatever you're gonna be most comfortable with. Okay? Uh, we use the Excel because it kind of brings you through the whole pattern. Uh, it gives you a little hints here and there of what you might want to try to do. Uh, but whatever is going to be the most convenient and workable way for you to track it yourself, that's ultimately what this needs to be. <laughs> we, we can email you the, the spreadsheets. Okay. And that we probably, do we have everybody's email? Alright, we might even be able to just email, you know, it's not like a huge group, we can probably just email everybody the, the spreadsheets. You know us millennials, we get easily distracted. My question for you is, I guess, like based off of the person's income, how often do you suggest them to review their budget? Um, do you like say, hey, like if you track every month and see, like maybe you should do this instead, or I guess it's like a Honestly, when somebody first gets started, I think you should really go through the budget on a monthly basis when you first get started, and probably get yourself a good three to four months in, so you, because that way you're kind of getting a little bit more comfortable with it, all right? You're concentrating on it, and then you can almost put it on automatic pilot. Because um, what I often see is people start off with the budget, they're really good at it, and then they take that eye off the ball, and then they kind of start drifting. So I would say at least once every six months you should probably you know go through it. But when somebody first starts off, I would suggest that you probably look at it on a monthly basis, um, just so you don't have any you know thing fall through the cracks. It's a way to just kind of you know, keep it a little bit more disciplined at the get go. Okay, as far as debts. I always like to say there's, you know, bad debt, not so bad debt, technically. All right. The bad debt, auto loans that are high interest, credit cards, ugh, they're the worst. Okay. You're probably going to be paying interest rates of 13%. I saw some, the uh, 25% that I've seen out there. Personal loan from the banks, these are things that are just killers. They're high interest rates, there's no tax benefit, and they can really, you know, drive your budget into the ground very quickly and they inhibit your ability you know, to have freedom to really do whatever you wish. The good debt, or what I would say, is the not so bad debt. A mortgage, relatively low interest, it's also gonna give you a tax benefit. Student loans, relatively low interest, small tax benefit that you can get from that, okay? And ultimately, student loans were meant to improve you know, yourself. You can't go wrong with that. As far as real estate loans, again, kind of falls into the mortgage area. Business and investing loans, again, you're doing something to improve your lifestyle. Maybe you're going off starting your own business, whatever it may be. So we're never going to say, oh, you know, debt's absolutely horrible. We would love to live in a perfect world where nobody had any debt, but the chances of seeing that are slim. So we do kind of want to look at a couple of different factors. I had someone stop in where they had a home, they had owned it for a good number of years, and they had a lot of credit card debt. So what I suggested is that they take out a home equity line of credit. 
You know, why don't we swap one debt for the other, get it a substantially lower interest rate, plus you can deduct some of the interest on there. Again, it, it's not a matter of like we eliminated the debt, we just moved it from being horrible debt that was charging you over 13%, and we moved it into an area where it was only being charged about 6%. So we lowered the interest at half, immediate savings, plus we gave a little bit of a tax benefit. So it's sometimes just pulling little tricks like that when we can try to do something. Again, the credit card, it's the worst type. Yes? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, anybody here, um, here have you heard Dave Ramsey? Okay. Uh, I agree with most of the things, you know, that he preaches, um, as far as being completely debt-free. You know, his attitude is live like no one else, so you can eventually live like no one else. You know, he is a no-debt, like pay your mortgage off everything. I think it's actually been a little extreme. Um, I don't have a problem if somebody has a mortgage on their home. If you have a reasonable, you know, interest rate on an auto loan or something, not that bad. It's the credit cards. Those are the ones. And what I would suggest on the credit cards, it's not a matter of saying don't use them. Is think of like the old-fashioned charge card. You know, a charge card was really something that you had to pay off at the end of the month. That's the way that they should be utilized. Is the sense of why you need to have it constantly rotating and paying the banks all this interest. You're really using it as more of just an item of you know, if I want to go out and I want to buy an item, I don't want to be walking around with, you know, 500 bucks in my pocket. I can go in, pay with a credit card, but I do have the $500 in the bank that I can make sure that that debt's paid off by the end of the month. That's the whole idea that we're trying to get to. All right. Again, make sure if you are do have credit card debt, I go through, you know, some uh, spending um, habits with folks. I actually sit down and try to, you know, talk about trying to reduce it. Be very careful. There are a lot of organizations out there that are like credit counselors and things, and they will charge you money to go in and so they can help you. Uh, it kind of really bothers me. I've never quite understood that if somebody has a debt issue, why you would be now charging them money so you could help them you know, with that. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I would always suggest sit down with somebody such as you know myself, a financial advisor who's going to be objective, try to build out a whole spending pattern. Be very careful going to folks that say they're going to suddenly magically you know, cure the debt issue. Uh, they're going to call the creditors or whatever. Be very careful. That's probably one of the last resources that you want to get into. Okay? As far as acceptable amounts, we usually just go right to you know, when people are going to buy a home. What are the amounts that are really acceptable there? They always look at what is called your income to debt ratio. Okay? When you're looking at a home, they always say it's about 28% of your gross monthly income. That's the principal, that's the interest, that's the taxes, and that's the insurance. And they're going to say, if you buy a home, we want it to be 28% or less of your gross income. Total debts, meaning the home, cars, credit cards, student loans, that's about 36%. So it's a slightly higher threshold. But this is really where the issue comes in. I have a lot of folks that may have some credit card debt, they may have some student loans, and they're thinking, I want to buy a home. 
well, I'm not going to be so concerned with 28%. I'm going to be concerned with 36 Because if that debt is taking up so much of the income, you're not going to have a whole heck of a lot of room. And you're going to have to compromise the home. And that's not something a lot of people want to do. So that's always the reason why we're saying, can we try to pay some of this down? Can we try to get rid of this so we can really start moving in the right direction? Because the last thing is that, why would you want to buy you know, the investment, probably, probably the most important investment you're ever going to make in your life is the purchase of a home, and you're compromising it solely because you might have some large credit card debt out there. Not exactly, but really credit card debt first. As far as the FICO score, I think this came up a couple of times already today. I know Sterling here, and I think you were alluding to it as well. If you look at it, what we're really looking at are the factors that go into the score. Okay? And very honestly, the FICO score is only important when you need to do what? When you need to borrow money. All right? If you're not in a position where you need to borrow, all right, credit score doesn't really affect your life. All right? My credit score right now has no impact on me. I'm not in the market buying anything. I'm not borrowing anything. So whatever my credit score is, it's kind of irrelevant. It's only important when I go to get another credit card, when I go to borrow so I can get a car, when I go to borrow so I can buy a home. All right? That's when it pops up. And the biggest factor that really goes into it is your payment history. That's the biggie. All right? Are you paying things on a timely basis? That's going to be the biggest factor. As far as credit utilization, that, again, is another big factor, is how much are you utilizing. Just as an example, what they tend to look at, um, if somebody had a $10,000 credit limit, they want to make sure that you're not utilizing too much of it. So they might say, maybe we want to have you only utilize around 20%. You know, so that would be a $2,000 that you have circulating on a total of 10000 out there. If I have $10,000 limit, and I am already up to the 10,000 limit, that's 100% utilization. That's not good. They don't like that. And that's when they start digging you on the FICO score. Okay? And that's where you might hear people say, well, wait, if I go out and I get another credit card for another 5,000, now my credit limit is 15, I'm only using 10, my utilization has gone down and I can improve my score. Not a good idea. Because <laughs> what you're doing is you're working towards the score and you're not really thinking of the whole principle behind it, which is to really try to get yourself out of debt in the first place. Okay? So, uh, yeah. so when your credit company is raising your, um, your limit, they, they, why does that happen? Do they want you to use the limit? They, they very well may. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to. I mean, just, it's... What, don't trust it. <laughs> yeah. What's going to like, they really want you to use it, and then FICO will come and ding you, and then it's going to be, like, on you to handle, but somehow... Well, FICO's not... If, like, your credit limit is raised, so let's say I have a credit card that has a 10000 limit, my bank comes in and they say, hey, Pat, we raised it to $12,000. So that actually improves my credit score, mm -hmm. because the utilization factor just changed. Yeah. All right. Motivation behind my bank? Well, I'm going to say they probably have a motivation to want me to borrow more. Okay. So I pay them more interest. That's always their motivation. Mm -hmm. All right. That's how they make their money. Think about it. Interest rates right now are at historic lows. All right. What are you making in a savings account? Less than one percent. Right. All right. Mortgages are in the three, four percent range. What are they charging for credit cards? 13, 14, 15%? Talk about a moneymaker. Why do you think they want you to borrow? They love that. 
Okay, that's for money. Yeah. Oh, First thing was, so let's say a person's credit score is going down, let's say it goes from 650 to 620, mm -hmm. and how long can they bring it back up to like 630 if they started doing everything right and paying it back? Honestly, your credit score can change rapidly, probably within the month. If you, you know, if I ended up having a problem because the utilization was the issue and I suddenly paid off a large amount of the debt, my credit score will almost be impacted immediately the next month. It'll probably rise. Okay. The payment history, again, is probably the biggest one, and that's the one that takes some time. Right? If you have a couple of black marks out there, you really want to be very careful because right? it will hang out. And you, you can actually make a claim and dispute some of the things that are on your credit report. If you ever pull up a credit report, you can actually write in and say, you know, I missed this payment because I was out of the country or blah, 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 and you can put in some reasons for it. So if somebody ever looks at the credit report, there's actually an explanation behind some of it. Okay. Um, second thing was what she said about the credit card rising. Don't trust it. <laughs> they came to my school. They gave me a $200 credit card. It was going good. I mean, $500. Paying my books and everything. Then it went up to $2,000. I called them, asked them not to raise it again. What this lady said to me, she said, Mr. Ward, don't you want to feel good about paying your bills all the time? Oh, no, no, good job. You know, just leave it there. I said, I do feel good about myself. I said, leave it. And then three months later, it went up to 4000 And it just, that's that's the trap. So yeah. just saying, be aware of that. They try to suck you in that way. Yeah. yeah. And it, it does make you feel like, oh, wow, they're going to allow me a little bit more. This and is Bank of America. I don't care yeah. any business. Now, a lot, of, a lot of the banks, as I said, it's ultimately it's our responsibility, but they have no problem, you know, tempting you. Yeah, they target <laughs> college students. It's, which is, I think, unconscionable. Yeah. You know, really, when you think of the stuff that goes on out there. And what happens is that if you find yourself getting into a problem, then they increase your interest rates. I mean, if you think about somebody has a credit card with a 25% interest rate, where is that rational? You know, the person obviously is having trouble. You know, they borrowed a lot. They're hit with a 25% rate because there's some issue. Mm -hmm. And now they're in a situation where they probably are never going to be able to get out of the debt. Yeah. Right? And they don't mind that. You know, they're very comfortable with it. Most people don't even understand what interest is. They just see the, the limit. Yeah. And they don't realize that it's not, it's not free. You know? mm -hmm. So it's really, it's probably one of the biggest killers that we see out there. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Are there situations where having credit card is actually least good? Because I know when I took out my credit card, I got it because for hotel reservations, mm -hmm. because they prefer you to have a credit card um, for certain things. Or like when you take a car, you like it. well, you don't necessarily need a credit card, but it's better to have a credit card versus you need a debit card. Yeah, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have one. My thought would be is if you have one, Try to keep it at zero balance. So maybe you use it, pay it off. Okay, use it, pay it off. And that's where I would say utilize it like a charge card. Okay, and that way you have it as a convenience. So if you need a hotel or a car reservation or Uber or whatever you're using it for, you can utilize it and you have it out there. But just like anything else, pay it off as soon as you can. I know a lot of folks that have credit cards and what they do is they run a lot of their budget right through their credit card. 
right? They put everything on there. They put every single bill on their credit card, but then they pay it off at the end of the month. You get cash back, you get points. There are things that you are some perks out there that you can get. The problem would be is that if they get behind on it, all right, and now they're running it off, and then they're now you're never going to get ahead on it. But it'd be so great if you put your student loans in your cash. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot put your student loans. It depends on the carrier you have, but you can't put your student loan on. <laughs> that was what was the one that American Express? I don't know if you guys. It's going way, way back, but somebody had a scam on American Express where they would go out and they would actually take out uh, traveler's checks. So they would go in and they would buy the traveler's checks on the credit card. They'd take the traveler's checks and then they would use that to pay off the credit card. So they were just like circling the money and they would be earning points like it was going out of style. Like, and American Express was like, how do they know? Like, what's going on? And they eventually caught on to the fact that there were a group of people that were doing this scam, and they stopped it completely. Oh, no. so, <laughs> yeah, it was actually really kind of cool. <laughs> so, it's like one of those ideas that once you find out, you're like, oh, why didn't I know about that? <laughs> okay. As far as just some things that you might want to look at, again, live within your means. Okay. Create a detailed budget. Monitor your spending. Again, if you want to take notes, whatever convenient way is out there for you. Separate your needs from your wants. That can get a little gray sometimes. Okay, but you do need to do that. And try to pay off your debts. But make sure you're trying to pay yourself first. Again, that's always the thing. And if you really think about it, the way that we live is that you make your money, and you pay your rent, and you pay for the heat, and you pay for the food, and you pay, and you pay. And who's at the end of the line? You are. All right? We're just saying, why don't you put yourself in the front of the line? All right? You work too hard, you work too long to not pay yourself first. Put it into the budget. Okay? Savings isn't that if I didn't spend it, it's what I have left over. It should be built into the budget, like any other expense that you have. It should be built in like your taxes, it should be built in like your rent, it should be built in like your food. Okay? It is an essential. All right? As soon as we can start moving that, then we can start really moving the ball forward for you. All right? Establish good savings habits. Dollar cost average. This is simply a way that if you do begin to invest, that we like to have you maybe do so on a gradual basis. Uh, we do investments for our clients in the stock market. Stock market can be up. Stock market can be down. But if we do what's called dollar cost averaging, Let's say I put $100 into the market every single month. If the market's up, I buy fewer shares. If the market's down, I buy more shares. I didn't buy at the highest price. I didn't buy at the lowest price. When I look back over the year, I bought at an average price. And it kind of reduces some of the volatility that if you're thinking of only putting in little bits at a time, it's not like you took a full lump sum and you dumped it into the market and you're just like, I'm waiting, it's going to crash, I know it's going to crash. Just do it a little bit at a time. Okay? And it's, that's really what we're trying to talk about is by building your budget and trying to look at things on an automated basis, on an incremental basis, that's the way that you can really improve your overall finances. We're not looking for one silver bullet here. Okay? We're looking to change habits. We're looking for you to really concentrate and get serious about where the spending and your priorities are. Okay? I always say, if I look at somebody's budget, you're really looking at their values. Right? If you say, I value certain things, well, how are you spending your money? 
Is your money reflective of those same values? And how can we get those things really kind of put together? Okay? And we can do it just in small little bits. All right? We're not trying to accomplish everything in the next month. So as far as streamlining your finances, maybe you should consolidate some of your accounts, especially on the debt side. All right? Maybe that's something that if you could take three credit cards and put them together on one loan, that might be at a very low interest rate to try to pay the thing off in the next 18 months, as an example. Okay? Pay bills automatically. That way you're not going to miss anything. All right? You're not going to wander in and say, oh my God, I found this you know, stuff behind the couch cushion. You <laughs> got to pay it. Have it done automatically. It comes right out of the checking account. All right? Make it very easy. That way you're going to improve your overall credit. Get overdraft protection. Okay? Meaning that if you do have something you know, withdrawn, your bank's going to be able to cover it so you don't bounce any checks or anything like that. Use direct deposit. And I would say, Maybe divide it up into a couple of different accounts. Don't forget about that emergency fund. And save automatically. That's going to come down into the 401k, but you can even do so with your own personal IRA. There's lots of accounts that we put people on an automatic savings plan where perhaps we're just withdrawing money on a monthly basis for them. And it goes to build up their savings. Any questions so far? Yeah, the gentleman just mentioned, if you're a small business and your income is kind of fluctuating, you kind of want to do something very similar. I would say being a small business, and I would say even, I'm maybe going to put some people who are in sales who operate for commissions, where their pay may fluctuate, you're probably going to need a little bit more cash reserve to kind of get you through, because your, your income is more of a variable. But still, some of the consolidation factors are still going to really apply. But I, I would say if somebody's in a position where their income is a little bit more of a variable, they're going to need a larger cash position to fall back on. A larger emergency fund, so to speak. Okay. So, as far as items for action, just take the time to go through your cash flow. Look at your budget in detail. Again, start to maybe use some debt reduction techniques. You know, look at it, see where some of the savings is. If we can get you some lower interest rates, let's try to do that. Maybe we should be consolidating some of the cards. If we have some other resources to go to, um, have you looked into if you have student loans? Have you consolidated the student loans? You know, maybe that will help you. Have you looked into any of the income-based repayment plans on the student loans? Um, there's lots of different factors out there. Uh, that's something that we help people all the time. I go out onto the you know, student loan website, we can see if we can get you straightened out on a couple of things, okay? Quantify your goals. Again, if you have a goal, think about how much money you're going to need towards that particular goal. If you know, I'm going to go on vacation, I want to go on vacation at least once a year, i got to go, and I'm going to be taking a trip down to the Caribbean or wherever the heck you want to go, you're going to want to quantify that. How much is the flight? How much is the hotel? How much are you going to be spending on food? And maybe if you come up with a number of, say, $2,000, well, how much a month are you going to need to start putting away so we can make sure that you have that sum of money so you can make sure you reach your goal, okay? Set up a filing system, all right? This will really help you as far as, again, remember that zombie apocalypse I kind of talked about? This is knowing and taking an inventory of everything that you have. What are those expenses? And you can really start to monitor, you know, what were the power expenses? 
You know, should you get on one of those budget plans where they're going to, instead of having your power, you know, when it's summer, it goes way up because you have air conditioning on, and then it maybe goes down in the fall, and then maybe starts picking back up in the winter because you have heat on. Maybe you get yourself on a budget plan where you get that level monthly payment, you know, throughout. Because that's really what the filing system is going to do. It's going to enable you to go back into your records, see where some of your expenses are. And I would even say, keep track of where all of your dollars are going. That's why I would say really use your budget and get very detailed on it for the next three to four months. And that's going to be the discipline, is going through and tracking all of your spending. Because most people don't run into problems because of the essential expenses. It's the discretionary area. That's where we all run into the problem. And it's really meant to just keep yourself disciplined and keep track of every dollar where it's going for the next few months. Okay? As I said, consolidate. You know, try to avoid using multiple you know, credit cards if you can. Try to you know, maybe keep two, one that you use, and maybe just one for an emergency. Okay? And then use the automatic services. Have automatic payroll deduction. Try to get you know, uh, payments for any bills done on an automatic basis as well. Okay? So, what we can do to help that investment, as I said, we're located right you know, around the corner on Mulberry and Charles, 345 North Charles Street. Uh, you're all welcome to come in for a complimentary one-on-one. -on -one. All right, uh, we're not a sales organization, that's not how we operate, okay? We have budgetary worksheets that we can help you out with, and we also run some financial workshops. We do this particular workshop. We also help folks that are freelancers, self-employed. Uh, we go through a lot of seminars for them as well. So I would welcome you uh, to all you know, attend another seminar for presenting, okay? We'd love to have you. We offer objective advice. We do not sell any products that invest in. So if somebody wants to come in and talk about life insurance, I'm going to give you my opinion on you know, all the products out there, because I don't sell it. I have no skin in the game. Okay? We are what is called a fee-only financial advisor. So if people invest money, we use actually Betterment. Has anybody ever heard of Betterment? Okay. That's the custodian that we utilize, because it's extremely low cost and high quality investments, predominantly Vanguard, exchange traded funds, etc. That's the only time that we ever charge anyone, is that we set everything up in betterment and we charge a very small fee of only 0.95%, less than 1%. And for that, you get all of the you know, investments plus all of the personalized and customized financial advice. Okay? It's just a different way of doing business. Yes? Are all investments income funds or do you have any kind That's it. There's no trading costs. There's no nothing funny. All right, it's all very straightforward, less than 1%, only if people decide to invest. And I'll be very upfront, I have a lot of folks come in that are not yet ready to invest, okay? I don't push people towards it because that wouldn't be the right thing. If someone comes in and they have a lot of credit card debt and they're trying to work on that, well, we're not ready to invest yet. Our job at that point is to sit and help coach you and provide education, get you moving in the right direction, and then if and when you're ready to invest, maybe we can talk about it at that point. But we're going to make sure that we help you get your financial house in order first and foremost. That's our goal. Okay? Okay, and just maybe in comparison, this is kind of where I would go back to the opening of when I said most people, when they talk about having a financial advisor, they don't want a salesman. All right? But that's unfortunately what exists out there. If you think about most other advisors or brokers, they have fairly high costs that can range anywhere from 3 to maybe even 
They maybe build a personal relationship, but they kind of make things a little bit more complex than they need to be. They like them complex. That makes sure that you utilize them. Okay? As far as professional guidance, eh, maybe, but they're usually not you know, fiduciaries. And a fiduciary, again, it's that technical term. It means someone who you can trust, somebody who puts your best interests first. That's what we are at InvestEd, okay? Since I'm not selling a product, it's actually pretty easy, all right? I always like these organizations that say, well, we always put our client interests first, but we have quotas to make sure our salespeople sell so many life insurance policies, so many annuities, and everything else. Well, why do they have a quota? You know, is, is the product right for everybody? Because it isn't. And if it isn't, why would you put a quota on it? It doesn't make a lot of sense. And a lot of these financial advisors, unfortunately, they're just trying to keep their job. They want to try to do the best that they can. And it really puts everybody in a very awkward position. Okay? And that's really where the fiduciary role, in our opinion, it was probably one of the more honest ways of going about it. Uh, since we're not selling any product, we don't even hold the money I invested in. We use an outside custodian. And the reason we chose Betterment is that we thought they had the best in class as far as investment selection, be it Vanguard, ETFs, et cetera and the lowest fees. And that's ultimately what we want to try to get to. Okay? All right, and I think the most important part, thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys taking your time out this evening. It was a pleasure. Want to see if there are any final questions or concerns? Anything that you were hoping I would ask that I would bring up that I didn't bring up? Two slides ago, you mentioned something about the student loans. Is there like one website that will have like everything on it? Um, there is the one I'm trying to remember. It's like I think it's like Student Financial Aid or something like that. I can't remember the one off the top of my head. I have it in my computer, but I just go to it. I can't remember the, the actual site, but there is. Okay. There's actually, if you just do a Google for like student loans, you can probably find it. Yes. I have a suggestion actually. I use um, Credit Karma. And that kind of tracks like all my um, expenses, mm. um, and also like looking up where they're like. So, for example, you can add like your different accounts to it, and they'll like total all of your student loans and all of like your bills and things like that. You just need to know your account information for everything. Um, but I recommend Credit Karma or Mix. Yeah, yeah Mix yeah. is the one that I usually yeah, yeah. because I, I we like those. Some people find them a little tedious. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like there's the good and the bad of it. But I didn't know Credit Karma did that. Yeah. Okay. It does. It's basically the same thing. Um, it All right. also has an app, so I like to check it out. All right. <laughs> so it's a different service than just the credit report. It also has credit reports attached to it as well. I believe. No, yeah, because yeah, I didn't know Credit Karma did that. I knew Credit Karma like helped track your score. Then they like send you emails and everything, but I didn't know they actually had something where you can actually uh, watch your debt. Because the one that we've recommended as far as that is Mint. Uh, but I've heard some people come back and they're like, yeah, it's good, and then they get a little annoyed at it because it's like so detailed. <laughs> that they're like, eh, a little awkward. Just to confirm, it does have like your accounts attached to it. You just have to know all your information. All right, fantastic. Thank you. Also, I wanted to follow up with this guy up here. Um, and it will give everything. It even talks about the different uh, programs as far as uh, income-based repayments, 
and how you can refinance and maybe go out for longer periods of time. There's good and bad to all of it, so it's something that I actually sit and I go through with each of my clients, uh, and we'll talk specifically to the student loans. Okay. Any other questions? All right, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time this evening. Thank, thank you again. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.